going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening and welcome. I'm Debbie George Addis. Thanks so very much for tuning into my show and to tonight's First Five. I do want to take a moment to give a tribute to former President George H.W. Bush, who passed on this past, a couple of days ago this week. And uh, I want to just play probably the most famous words he ever said, uh, which were from his 1989 uh, speech at, the, at his inauguration. I've spoken of a thousand points of light, of all the community organizations that are spread like stars throughout the nation doing good. We will work hand in hand, encouraging, sometimes leading, Sometimes being led, rewarding. We will work on this in the White House, in the cabinet agencies. I will go to the people and the programs that are the brighter points of light, and I'll ask every member of my government to become involved. You know, folks, that was his thousand points of light. That was from his 1989 inauguration. All I want to say about it is, you know, God bless him and his family and prayers for their comfort at the time, this time of his passing. On the particular clip I just played, what he really was talking about was that was the most famous and also the most mocked statement he ever made. As far as I'm aware, maybe the, you know, don't raise your taxes one, but this one was mocked by the left. And the reason it was mocked is because what he was saying was the American people, the country of America, the American people. This is a country full of good, noble, generous people who will look out for each other, who will care for each other, who will try to help each other. And this is the kind of culture that America has had for decades, centuries, since our founding. And the reason the left hated that statement so much was because it reminded people that we don't necessarily in this country need the endless growth of federal government entitlement programs, the endless growth of power in the federal government, the endless nanny state growth that the left advocates. That's why they hated his statement, because it reminded people that America is actually a good country and that we will look out for our fellow man and that we don't need what the left is trying to sell us all day long, every day, which is ever-expanding, controlling, providing federal government, nanny-stating us, smothering us into weakness. That's why they hated that statement. So God bless George H.W. Bush. Uh, Thank you so much for his service to the country. But I do want to talk about tonight, though, in this first five um, was the uh, you the news this past week that there was a, a guilty plea um, entered by Michael Cohen, who was the President Trump's attorney. And there was a previous guilty plea by Cohen relating to uh, covering up payments to women uh, who were paid off some money uh, related to their accusations against President Trump. We've talked about that in the show before. You know, there's there's no basis to assume that the 
argument the prosecutors made that those uh, payments had to be considered uh, in-kind campaign contributions. They didn't have to be considered that at all. But this current plea has the left giddy with excitement that they somehow think they've gotten Trump, that this is it. Michael Cohen, now he's admitted that somehow there there was a lie told related to the... um, related to dealings that President Trump had prior to being elected, but in the 2015-2016 era in which Trump was in negotiations or at least preliminary negotiations with the Russians related to the um, uh, potential building of a Trump hotel somewhere in Russia. And just so you're clear what the lie is that Cohen has acknowledged because the uh, negotiations had already been announced, the the existence of this possible Trump hotel, the, what Cohen has now pled guilty to uh, relates to when those negotiations ceased. He previously said they ceased in January of 2016, and now he's acknowledging, no, it's more like June of 2016. So that is the lie that Cohen has pled guilty to. And you would think that he pled that he had just stepped up and said, you know, uh, I, I admit it. The Russians paid for the entire election. We're totally sunk. You know, Trump was just in, in bed with the Russians. Cohen said nothing like this. He had to acknowledge he, he had uh, he had lied or misstated in some way the date when the uh, negotiations with the Russians with respect to building a Trump hotel um, ended. But I want to make clear just a couple of things, because the left is gleeful and they're truly insane to be gleeful over this. I'm going to get in the next segment after we come back from our break, which is kind of in a couple of minutes. But I want to get back uh, and kind of review with you in the next segment how we got where we are here in December of 2018, how we got where we are with the Mueller investigation. But this, this Michael Cohen piece, understand collusion itself is not a crime. A president or a candidate negotiating to do a business deal in Russia is not a crime. Negotiating to build a tower or build a Trump Tower or build something, anything in Russia, is not a crime. The conversations that necessarily uh, occur before you can have a deal like that are not a crime. There is still nothing in the Mueller investigation after we're now into the, it's in the high $30 million we have spent Nothing in that investigation has uncovered what Mueller was originally charged to uncover, which was somehow the Trump campaign colluded with the Russians to have them interfere with the American elections and somehow bring about Trump's uh, Trump's victory. Nothing to it, but it matters so much to understand how the Democrats got us here and what has to be done to straighten this out. I'm Debbie Georges. America Can We Talk. Come right back. Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. 
Cure's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how Cure works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. The right to freedom of speech, to be who you are and to speak your mind, is a foundational American value enshrined in the First Amendment to our Constitution. And nowhere is that value more important than on America's college campuses. But too often on our campuses, unpopular political opinions or religious beliefs are met with censorship or even violence instead of honest dialogue and discussion. And Texas colleges are no exception. Schools like the University of Texas at Austin, Sam Houston State University, and the University of North Texas all place burdensome restrictions on free speech. That's why the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, FIRE, fights back against the censors to defend liberty on America's college campuses. Does your college or alma mater uphold our most cherished American value of freedom of speech? Find out by visiting thefire.org and consider lending FIRE your support. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Our military and veterans have served all of us, defending our nation whenever and wherever duty calls. But at home, when their families need support, they know they can turn to Operation Homefront for help. Operation Homefront provides military families with critical financial assistance, transitional and permanent housing, and family support programs throughout the year to help prevent their short-term needs from turning into long-term struggles. When you support Operation Homefront, your donation will make a real difference because 92% of their expenditures go directly towards programs that our military families need most. Each year, Operation Homefront serves thousands of military families, families in your community, helping wounded veterans transition to civilian life, helping military families pay overdue bills when their loved ones deploy overseas, and helping them through their short-term struggles. Make a difference today and help serve America's military families. Visit OperationHomefront.org. That's OperationHomefront.org. Okay, don't you just love my music? I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I love our music. It is so, it's by Krista Branch, fabulous musician, along with her husband. And it is, it's exactly what this show is about. Okay, folks, I'm going to say, as my mother used to say to me, 
Listen fast. I want to run through to set a backdrop, a background for you for where we are today, December 2018, how we got here with the Mueller investigation and what is really happening. If you listen to my podcast, Wednesday, 3 p.m. Central Time, some of this I covered. I'm going to try to set the table because it really matters to understand for all of us what is happening as we watch, watch the Mueller investigation roll on. So let me start by, with this. Dan Bongino, former Secret Service agent, uh, author of the new book, Spygate, The Attempted Sabotage of Donald J. Trump. He laid out a brilliant overarching presentation about how we got here in the Mueller investigation. For most of America, people thought the Mueller investigation started because somehow in the middle of 2016, this, uh, this, it emerged that the FBI and Department of Justice had been aware that there had been uh, apparent collusion between Trump and the Russians, and the investigation was off and running with the FISA warrants. That wasn't the beginning of it. To back up from that, we had, during 2016, and even prior to 2016, we had... President Obama still in office. President Obama's entire team still running the FBI and the DOJ. We had those that team involved in doing something called querying, which just means asking the questions of querying, sending questions in to the NSA database. The NSA database, the National Security Agency, a massive amount of data collected on virtually everyone, everything people have ever done, especially people of prominence. The NSA database being queried by the the Obama administration team, the FBI, Department of Justice, obviously the CIA, for various reasons, was involved too. John Brennan aware of it, Comey aware of it. These people were hacking, were just gathering information in, in the most unethical, illegal manner, querying the NSA database to get information to spy on the Trump campaign. This is step one. That was predating anything about FISA gate and the dossier and all of that. This was already happening. Then the head of the NSA, thank God for America, the head of the NSA, Mike Rogers became aware of this. He's seeing, you know, he's a guy that had the whole thing. He can see what in the world are all these people and entities and agencies pinging, querying, getting information out of the NSA database. He went to first the FISA court, told them about it. He went in October, October, um, uh, October 24th, 2016, goes to the FISA court, tells them all about it. They are appalled. FISA court is supposed to be the one you go to to ask for information. So FISA court hears about it. Later, they issue a ruling, a FISA court ruling, April 2017, excoriating the breach of the data at the NSA holding. So FISA's already, FISA court's already in, onto this. They don't like it. And then the same hero of the story, Mike Rogers, went to the Trump Tower. He went to the Trump Tower and gave President Trump heads up, or not yet President, but President-elect Trump. He went to the um, Trump Tower and gave him heads up. Hey, by the way, you are being spied on. You are being listened to. He warned President Trump, or soon be President Trump, November 2016. This is 10 days after Trump has won the election. The very next day, Trump moves out of Trump Tower because he doesn't want you know, that his enemies listening to everything that happens there. And uh, also President Obama fires Mike Rogers. 
That's phase two. So now these people have been discovered. FISA court knows it. Obama people, the whole slew of the upper echelon, FBI, Department of Justice, Obama administration, they all know this. So then they concoct, they come up with, well, now we're really in trouble here. All of this FISA gate stuff starts because Hillary, who's the actual colluder with the Russians, Hillary has paid a law firm, Hillary's campaign pays a law firm, Perkins Cooley, hires Fusion GPS, hires Christopher Steele, starts spying on the, uh, trying to find some dirt, some smut on President, uh, on candidate Trump. They come up with their dossier. The dossier is then used to make an application to the FISA court to start spying legally on the Trump team. But they have to come up with some concocted story. That happens. The, the, the dossier, complete hoax, cooked up by the Hillary-affiliated Russian team, comes up with this thing against Trump. So that's happening. So now they have the FISA court for... Turned down the application the first time, next four times, because you're required to, to reapply, next four times, FISA court gives this, uh, the federal government uh, permission to spy on alleged uh, you know, Trump people alleged to have some connection with the um, Russians. The FISA thing is falling apart because the American public is and, and becomes aware that the all the FISA warrant was based on was a Hillary campaign smear job attack. That's what FISA court had to give the uh, to, to base their warrants on that allowed this continued spying on the Trump people. So that's that's plan B. So plan A was just querying. No problem. No one ever know. Plan B, FISA court, lie, 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 lie. Trump wins. Plan C, you've got to make the public believe that somehow Trump colluded with the Russians. You've got to have a formal investigation. So they have Mueller put in a position to investigate the non-existent collusion between Trump and the Russians. Mueller's job was never to uncover the truth. It was in some way to destroy President Trump. This is what Mueller is attempting to do. And here we are today. I want to tell a little more background on uh, Mr. Mueller, Mr. Uh, Robert Mueller. You know, he's uh, he's now trying what he's done in this investigation. Beside that, he is going after all sorts of people who none of them, no one in this investigation by Robert Mueller, special counsel, has been in any way in any way connected to the original idea. Did the Trump campaign collude with the Russian government to make sure to help the Russian government or assist the Russian government in interfering with the American elections and causing Trump to win. No evidence whatsoever. Everything uncovered by uh, Mueller and all the investigation he's been doing since then has been about this tactic I'm going to call and other writers are calling the perjury trap. What Mueller has done, he has done this in the past in his life. He is doing it now. He has no evidence. He has no proof. He has no theory that supports the original reason he was appointed special counsel to somehow prove that that Trump colluded with the Russians to win the election. So right now what he's doing, he, Mueller has, you know, he's, as you well know, he has prosecuted Manafort, Paul Manafort. He's got Manafort, uh, you know, being convicted of other things unrelated entirely to Trump-Russia collusion, but business deals that Manafort had related to Russia. So now Manafort's, you know, uh, facing a long time in prison. He is trying to get Manafort to turn on Trump. This is the, when I say the perjury trap, what Mueller has done with many witnesses, I'm going to try to run through them very quickly, but many witnesses is 
put them in a position where he, Mueller, has every email, everything they ever wrote, everything they ever said, every text they ever sent, every tweet they ever put up. He's got it all. He sits down and questions them, and he trips them up. He trips them up. And, you know, when you're talking to the FBI, you don't have to be under penalty of perjury to commit a crime if you lie. Now, it uh, should not be a crime, really, to talk to the FBI and not remember something, you know, to or to misstate something. But what Mueller is doing is setting up person after person after person to say, I'm going to get you in here. I have everything you ever wrote. I'm going to find a way to make you lie. And now you're in my perjury trap. And now you're going to cooperate with me. This is what Mueller is doing. This is the this is the uh, how he substituted his real job for what he is really doing. So Manafort right now, he's trying to get Manafort to cooperate with him to compare Manafort's answers to a series of answers that President Trump gave through his attorney last week to a series of written questions, trying to see if he can somehow get them to find an inconsistency. This is what Mueller did to uh, Lieutenant General uh, Michael Flynn. He had someone from his team talk to Flynn about a conversation with Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak. And uh, the uh, memory that Flynn had at the time he gave his answer differed from the information that Mueller already had. Even the agents questioning Flynn said they thought he was telling the truth. They thought he just didn't remember. But he got a conviction out of Flynn because he threatened him, threatened his wife, threatened his children. So Flynn pleads simply because he got into the perjury trap under Mueller. Same thing with George Papadopoulos who actually spent 10 days being punished in prison for having told investigators that a conversation about Russia with suspected CIA spy Joseph Mifsud, an academic, blah, blah, happened before he was affiliated with the Trump campaign. And George Papadopoulos wasn't incorrect. George Papadopoulos had not yet signed on the Trump campaign at the time he had this conversation. But Mueller knew that Papadopoulos knew that he was going to get a job. So you get what I'm saying? Papadopoulos got tripped up by Mueller in this perjury trap. Papadopoulos gets sucked in. He's being punished. And now we come to Jerome Corsi, who's been all over the news this week. Jerome Corsi, same issue. The perjury trap that that, um, Mueller is trying to set to get people in a position where he thinks he can twist their arm and force him to turn against President Trump. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. This matters a lot. Come back after the break on Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes. The soul of freedom is crying out. Can you hear us America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. 
The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out CenterForSecurityPolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's CenterForSecurityPolicy.org. The federal government spends $900 billion annually on anti-poverty programs. What has it produced? 75% of black children are born into fatherless homes. 43% of the prison population is black. The black poverty rate has remained at twice the national average. And cities like Oakland, Baltimore, St. Louis, and Detroit are in ruins. Instead of helping, bad policies and billions of dollars have spread a sickness in the black community. It's time for a cure. The Center for Urban Renewal and Education, CURE, led by President Star Parker, is addressing our nation's most critical problems in our nation's most distressed zip codes. CURE's mission is to fight poverty and restore dignity through faith, freedom, and personal responsibility. To find out more, to read about how CURE works, and how you can help, please visit urbancure.org and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Together, you and I can cure America. Have you heard of the Policy Circle? It's a national network of women who come together in neighborhood conversations to discuss the public policies impacting their communities. You can think of it as a book club, but instead of reviewing a book, members discuss public policy issues. Policy Circle members have access to membership-only resources and benefits that complement a thoughtful framework for women to come together and have fact-based discussions. From healthcare to poverty... From free enterprise to education, from fiscal responsibility to the First Amendment, we discuss the issues that shape America. Change starts with a conversation. Conversations happen when women across the nation are connected and engaged in their communities, openly sharing their views and taking a leadership role in policy dialogue on what human creativity can accomplish in a free economy. Are you ready to join a growing network of engaged women? To join or start your own policy circle, visit thepolicycircle.org today. That's thepolicycircle.org. Can you hear us now? Can you hear us now? The soul of freedom. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and... Uh, so appreciate you tuning in tonight to America Can We Talk. I ran through all that in the last segment about what Mueller's MO has been because I wanted to turn to what is happening to Jerome Corsi. And I'm going to do that in just a moment, but to try to just flesh out a little more of this story about Robert Mueller, understand Robert Mueller has a long, long history in Washington. He has been there a long time. He has been head of the FBI and something that you will will talk about in the next segment related to Hillary Clinton. But Robert Mueller has been a 
since the time of this appointment has been never about trying to understand the answer to the question, was there Trump-Russia collusion, and has instead been about finding something that either can result in a criminal prosecution of President Trump, or if that doesn't work, at least give the Congress sufficient information, sufficient ammo, so that they could move toward impeaching him, which is what, of course, the Democrats pretty much ran on, was, you know, somehow, don't worry, if you let us in, we're going to find a way to get rid of President Trump. And so this is a, uh, this what we're watching now with this uh, Cohen, we, I mentioned at the start of the show, Cohen being uh, entering a guilty plea. This is, uh, you know, yet another, can we somehow get him? Can we get him? And, and I'm telling you, folks, this could not be more serious in terms of what it says about our national law enforcement, what it says about our country, our commitment as a country to the rule of law, to whether you love President Trump, hate President Trump, are ambivalent about him, love Hillary, hate Hillary, wish she won, glad she lost, whatever it is you're thinking. What we are watching in Washington is the ongoing uh, just effort to control and destroy uh, this president and to end up to where he cannot do the agenda. He promised the American people where he's stuck not doing the agenda because he spent, he's supposed to spend all his time um, being part of this uh, Mueller investigation and responding to it. I also want to mention something uh, else, a, a little piece of this happening, because as you know, starting January 2nd, the Democrats have won the majority in the House. They, the Democrats, are going to try. They, they've pr- been promising their uh, voting base, especially, especially the ones that don't pay that much attention, can't follow things very well. They've been promising that voting base, don't worry, we'll get President Trump. They must, in their worldview, they must pursue trying to get rid of President Trump. And so in this last period of time, here we are, it's only December 2nd today. We have a full month you know, whatever it is, three legislative weeks. Frankly, the Congress shouldn't even get a break for Christmas. They should just stay there until the new Democrat majority takes hold in January to get things done. I'm going to tell you one example of this stalling effort by the American left, thinking that somehow, because what the plan is, of course, is once the Democrats have control of Congress, there will be no further effort to ever get to the bottom of what this astonishing, and as Dan Bongino is characterizing it, and he's right, the largest scandal in American history is what the Obama administration started, what went on with the FBI, the Department of Justice, the the, uh, querying of the NSA database in order to spy on political enemies, the concoction of a completely fraudulent dossier that was designed to cast aspersions and doubt on President Trump's character that permitted the continuing spying on all of these characters and anyone affiliated with the President Trump team. And then the, the, the phase three or plan C, whichever you want to call it, the third phase under Bongino's thing is to have Mueller just go after 
President Trump until there is a until there's just a um, exhaustion with it all, where we have so many people lined up that that have been tripped up in the perjury trap that Mueller sets for them, that they just that that there's just a surrender. And the American public finally says, you know what, we'll never know what really happened. We need to move on. This is what the Democrats want. They are protecting Comey. Uh, They're protecting John Brennan. They are protecting the whole slew of very high-ranking Democrats who should be facing at least investigation, probable prosecution, and jail time. But what the Democrats are hoping is, because they hold the majority in the House, that they can just stall this investigation until they hold the majority, everything gets dropped, and all the characters who work so hard to violate the law, to attack President Trump, to corrupt the FBI and the Department of Justice will simply go free. One little example, although it's actually a huge example, James Comey, former FBI director, who's just been was in the middle of all this, had to know that they were filing FISA uh, court warrant applications, had to know that, that they were doing that based on completely fallacious, made up, funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign, you know, just garbage research, not even research, just just a, a fiction created by in the Russian dossier by the Hillary funded um, Perkins Coie Fusion GPS, uh, you know, the whole spy team coming up with that. So James Comey was, um, if you may recall, he uh, refused in previously when he went to testify in Congress, he refused to answer 100 questions Because he said at that time when he was being questioned, because the hearings were public, that was his complaint. These hearings are public. I can't answer that. Now he's been subpoenaed and the Republican, still Republican majority in the House Judiciary Committee has subpoenaed him saying that they'll take his testimony in a private meeting. He doesn't have to testify in public because that was his complaint. Now his complaint is he doesn't want to testify in private. He's actually hired a lawyer to go to court and his argument in the U.S. District Court and the District of Columbia, he wants his subpoena quashed because he claims his testimony might be selectively leaked. He's threat- he's, he, is, he is accusing the Republicans who want to question him, well, they may selectively leak what I say. And so the judge, it's a magistrate, Trevor McFadden, got his counsel to say, yeah, that's our concern, that we think they'll leak it. So the government, the, you know, the House GOP, the Judiciary Committee, says, okay, Comey is free to publicly dis- disclose his testimony after the deposition. So they're saying, go ahead, make it public. We're, we're not, you know, don't blame, don't point your finger at us. You can make it public. They also said they'd give him a transcript within 24 hours of his private testimony, which he'd be, ref- ref- uh, excuse me, which he'd be free to release in whole. They are calling his bluff, but you have to see what Comey's doing. Comey is trying to delay his appearance at the House Judiciary Committee until January when the Democrats have the majority. Because the end of the story, the Democrats will let Comey and the entire slew of criminals inside the FBI and Department of Justice simply walk. And Victor Davis Hanson, who you I would quote many times in the show, he's a fabulous thinker and speaker and um, and just just a, a deep intellect. He's still saying America still needs a legal accounting of Comey. Brennan, Brennan, who was head of the CIA at the time, and, and Clapper, head of the NSA. We need these, the DIA, we need these people to be held to account for what they did. And uh, yeah, the director of national intelligence, James Clapper, um, you know, the, he, he had to have been involved in all of this. So, I, I mean, I, I guess I want to 
wrap, put a bow on this story to say what's happening with James with uh, Jerome Corsi is he was called uh, by Mueller. He was called in to testify. Mueller gave him, uh, he Mueller told him, I want all of your email, all of your Twitter, um, your Twitter accounts, all of your email accounts, passwords to them, um, every bit of information you have. I mean, Jerome Corsi gave him his computer, his email, uh, his email passcodes, his Twitter account, his entire uh, social media presence. And then after he's given all that, Mueller calls him in to question him and says, "Okay, Jerome Corsi, you know, um, you he asked him about a specific thing. This is all trying to prove this Russian uh, Trump collusion thing, which didn't happen. So Mueller saying to or Mueller's team is saying to Jerome Corsi, so you had an email. Uh, did you ever did you ever meet with Julian Assange, the guy who founded WikiLeaks? Jerome Corsi says, no, I didn't. Did you ever have communications with him? No, I didn't. Okay, so then he says to Corsi, well, you know, did you ever get an email about uh, the Julian Assange WikiLeaks? And he said, yes, I did. Did you forward that email? He said, no, I didn't. Well, here's the story. He had an email from Roger Stone on the Trump team he, Jerome Corsi did, saying, hey, can you get to Julian Assange? Can you ask him this or tell him this? Whatever he said. And Corsi replied, said, no, I can't do that. I don't, I don't speak to Julian Assange. So, but Corsi did forward that email to some irrelevant person. This is how Mueller tripped up Corsi to say, oh, you did forward an email when you said you didn't. And Corsi said, I didn't remember that I forwarded that. They showed him his email. He said, you're right. I made a mistake. I guess I did forward that. That is the lie, the perjury, or not, it's a lie to the FBI that they're trying to get Corsi to sign something admitted he lied to the FBI because they're threatening him with jail time. They want him to turn on Trump. We come back from the break. I'm going to wrap this up with a bow to say we cannot let this kind of conduct continue. Debbie Georgiatis, America Can We Talk, Facebook Live. Come back in four minutes. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high. 
to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Our nation faces a choice. The path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility. Whether informing the national debate on property rights energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. America is greatly blessed by the men and women serving in our military who are defending us every day, making our freedom possible. Military families also serve, and they face hardships while dads and moms are far from home. Military families endure frequent moves around the country and overseas, requiring them to adjust to new schools and make new friends over and over. They also face anguish while their soldiers deployed overseas, often in harm's way. The Army Scholarship Foundation offers one way to help military families by providing academic scholarships to children and spouses of soldiers. And you can help. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and consider making a tax-deductible donation to help a military family member pursue his or her educational dreams. Assisting military family members with their college education is a great way for all of us at home to say thank you to our military families for your service and sacrifice. Visit ArmyScholarshipFoundation.org and get involved today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie George Addis. I'm so glad you've joined us tonight. You know, this is the most amazing time we live in, and I really do encourage. I know sometimes there's so many characters involved in this Mueller investigation and the background story of how it got started and querying the NSA database and the various players involved. It can seem overwhelming, and it can seem just kind of, in fact, I was I was talking to a lady friend of mine who's a doctor who said this week, you know, basically, I'm just I'm just kind of tired of it. Can't they just let this go? Now, she's not political. She's, you know, she's a doctor, so she's not into it very much. But the idea of letting go what was cooked up behind the scenes in the Department of Justice at the FBI in order to attack a political opponent, the answer is no, we cannot let it go. Now, we, I think we have uh, online with us, I'm not sure. Okay, we're, um, no, not having a line. You know what's funny? I am... 
texting with um, Jerome Corsi. He was supposed to come on the show tonight. We're actually texting, and somehow we're not getting uh, through. Um, so I don't know what else to tell you, folks. We're uh, we're trying to get him online, but uh, we're somehow not communicating. He's, he's act- I'm sitting, staring at my text. He's saying, I'm there, I'm there, but it's not, it's not answering. So let me just finish on Jerome Corsi. This is an example of something. If you want to be, this is an example, kind of one of the things that Stalin said about, you know, show me the man, I'll find you the crime, or find me the man, I'll show you the crime. The idea that if you agree that the government has unfettered authority to investigate and look into people and and dig into their background and trip them up, you can succeed if you are a nefarious, evil government. You can succeed in making anyone guilty of a crime, anyone a criminal, anyone be liable to be um, arrested, prosecuted, um, and jailed. This is the power when, of, of, the, of any big government and in America, when you have a of the national security, the, the the law enforcement agencies of our country committed in a political way to destroy a political enemy, you can get them to, um, you know, you can get anyone convicted. And so here we have Jerome Corsi, who, if you didn't hear before the break, all that he did was he was questioned about, did you forward an email? And he said, no, but I mean, these are, this is an email from over two years earlier. I couldn't tell you if someone asked me last week, did you forward this email? I think, well, I think I meant to, or no, I don't think I did. The idea that this is going to constitute a federal crime lying to the FBI. And then because you have been told you can be charged with a federal crime and you can be prosecuted and you can be convicted and you can face prison and you're thinking, rest of my life in prison or else I cooperate with this Mueller and you know, witch hunt isn't even nearly a strong enough word. I'm going to ask my board operator, Greg, try one more time that number because, um, okay. 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 (laughs) All right. Okay, folks, we're not getting him, I guess. So we, it's funny because we're, um, oh, well, he's texting me and he wanted to come on. So I'll just tell you his story. Jerome Corsi should not be somebody um, who's having to listen to um, the lies and the accusations in the media. You think about your own life and the way you conduct yourself. And if you could be prosecuted for failing to recall whether you forwarded an email Folks, it's a, uh, you know, we don't want this kind of country. And even if you happen to be a a Trump hater and a Hillary Clinton lover, you don't want this power to continue in the, you don't want these people who who put this whole hatch, hatch this whole plan together at the upper echelons, FBI, Department of Justice, continuing in their conduct. You don't want that to go unpunished because what the, the lesson is, these people will learn if we can somehow get the Democrat majority back in the House that we can then put it all, sweep it all under the rug. It'll all be gone. And on that note, I want, the other story I want to hit in this hour, because we're really just trying to break down or build up understanding of the depth of the um, depravity that we're watching in Washington. I don't know if you saw the story, but there was a, uh, a guy who um, was a, is a whistleblower, an FBI whistleblower. He is inside, uh, was inside the FBI, And he um, took note of, discovered that there was a a treasure trove of evidence that showed that when Robert Mueller, who was then the head of the FBI, 
that Robert Mueller had failed to investigate Hillary Clinton and her uh, her conduct with respect to the Uranium One, the company that had uh, the that had was involved in transferring American uranium assets to the Russians. Um, this is uh, the Clinton Foundation Uranium One. The whistleblower's lawyer is Michael Sakaris. The whistleblower is Dennis Nathan Kane. What happened to Dennis Nathan Kane? He followed the federal whistleblower law to a T. He discovered evidence that the Mueller FBI, FBI when, when Mueller was ahead of it, ignored criminal conduct by Hillary Clinton that he had and, and that he had in that uh, inf- information related to Rosatom, it's R-O-S-A-T-O-M. Um, he said Robert Mueller failed to investigate allegations of criminal misconduct pertaining to Rosatom, to other Russian government entities attached to Uranium One, and uh, also that the, um, so he, this guy, this this civilian, Dennis Nathan Kane, followed the whistleblower law. He gave all the information he had to the uh, Horowitz guy, who is the, the inspector general. He gave the information to Horowitz, the inspector general. In addition to doing that, that information was then relayed to the House and Senate Judiciary Committees. So all the documents he had, all the evidence he came forward to say that the Mueller team had protected Hillary Clinton, refused to investigate obvious crimes, and he was turning that information over, as he's supposed to do, a protected whistleblower is supposed to do, to the inspector general, to Horowitz. So he turns that over, and the and, and so and then and that information again is turned over to the House and Senate Judiciary Committee. However, last Monday, the Monday before Thanksgiving, November nineteenth, an FBI raid occurs at his home in Maryland. Sixteen agents show up at his home to search his home, claiming he had in his possession unauthorized unauthorized possession of government documents. So he, you know. Frightened, of course, as anyone would be, he handed over to the FBI everything he had. He said, I've already turned this information over to the inspector general. The House and Senate Judiciary Committees have this investigation, have this information. But he he handed to the FBI people who still searched his home for six hours. And this is, understand, they already have this information. The government already has it. And so the uh, obvious questions are why this raid occurred after the information had already been turned over. You know, why this federal magistrate, Stephanie Gallagher, a U.S. District Court magistrate in Baltimore, gave them a search warrant based on their representations that they had... um, they had information that this person had in their possession, uh, information that they weren't supposed to have um, from the uh, government. So there is a there's a lot of speculation about what what would be I mean, because obviously um, this is very bad news, very embarrassing and bad news for the um, Mueller team, for Mueller to look like he's a criminal, like he doesn't uh, respond, like he doesn't do what he's supposed to do. So there's the there's the Mueller aspect of it, which is, you know, he's obviously not comply with the law. Um, and then, uh, or didn't follow through in the law, but then it also, it begins to shed doubt on his motive, on his political leanings. He's more interested, when he is head of the FBI, in protecting Hillary, protecting her conduct under Uranium One, instead of 
investigating her as was his job. So he didn't want to do that. He did not want to uh, investigate. And there's um, other speculation about this is, you know, once this has turned into a um, into another investigation, the FBI is initiating about this guy. Are they then setting it up so that they're going to try to protect that information from going public saying, well, we can't we can't really release it right now because this is part of an ongoing FBI investigation. So we can't we can't be talking about this information. And there's all sorts of nefarious reasons that the um, that that it would help Mueller to not have this information be public, even though, you know, the inspector general has it. So the documents, uh, 16 agents arrive at this guy's home November 19th, spend, you know, six hours searching, and his lawyer is pointing out they're searching for things that he's already completely turned over. There was no, I mean, there was nothing that it it appears yet that was discovered that he hadn't turned over. Um, And so this is a... uh, you know, this is a an intimidation tactic. It is a, you know, you think you're going to be a whistleblower on Hillary Clinton? That's what you think? I mean, this, you know, you talk about what would intimidate somebody else who had information. If you're in the FBI, if you're in Department of Justice, and you understand that if you're a whistleblower and you follow the law to a T, you still might be, you might end up being um, prosecuted might end up being having FBI people at your home and, and you know scaring the daylights out of it. So out of you, this is a it's a very dangerous thing, a very, a very alarming thing to people. But I also want to mention something else that's kind of interesting happening. Um, that is Trump has been kind of hinting in tweets that there's something big coming out next week related to Hillary. I'll remind you of this little piece. You remember back when John Huber, um, there was, who was the Salt Lake City U.S. attorney, who was given the task by then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions to investigate corruption beyond what the Mueller team is handling. So, translation, Jeff Sessions authorized this Salt Lake City U.S. attorney to investigate things Mueller's not investigating, like Hillary Clinton and all of her Uranium One and her pay-for-play stuff as State Department, as a, uh, when she was the head of the State Department. I mean, this is a, you know, this is a really big thing that Jeff Sessions did do, got this guy going. Well, now the news is out that these two prosecutors reached out to a whistleblower from the Clinton Foundation and the idea that they're going to get a whistleblower to talk about the Clinton Foundation, about the pay-for-play stuff there. Um, apparently, there's allegedly some big news coming out on Monday related to what those people may be willing to tell. And your last little thing, this isn't to really take a personal shot at Hillary, but just to point out for our listeners, Hillary Clinton, A, many insiders say she's going to run for president again in 2020. But on top of that, Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton cannot survive, cannot stand it in life not to be in the limelight. So they started this Hillary and Bill tour. They're running around talking. And even Maureen Dowd of the New York Times fame said it was embarrassing. She gave, they gave one of their big talks in Canada. And this, the stadium where they were speaking was two-thirds, or the room was two-thirds empty. So this is a Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, thing going down here, folks. You come back from the break and tell you a little bit more about that. And we do our cruise to the news at the top of the second hour. Come right back. Hello. 